Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Yeah, thanks for coming and tuning in. Um, I'm going to talk about something called live coding, which I've been doing and talking about for about 16 years now. So sorry if I repeat myself, <laughs> but I, I guess the ideas haven't reached all corners of the universe. So um, yeah, I think the easiest thing with live coding is just to show you some. So this is a piece called Study in Keith by Andrew Sorensen, who's based in Brisbane. Um, it's a very nice little piece, so I like to use it. It's a lot more relaxing than my music, so it may be nice to ease you in. I've skipped through into about three minutes into the performance because the first couple of minutes are completely silent as he's writing bits of code. But you can... See the basic idea, he's describing um, music with text. Um, lots of brackets are involved, that's because it's uh, based on a language called Lisp. Um, but that kind of represents the tree structure of the music in a way. Um, and he has different parts of the music that he's gradually building up. Um, and when he's evaluating code, there's no break in the sound, it just probably grows a little bit more complex. We've only got 20 minutes, so I'll forward until a bit later. You can hear that it's developed quite a lot now. Um, and he's describing different chords and rhythmic structures and so on. So that's why it's called live coding. There's code and there's live changes. So. So what is live coding? Um, it's never really been defined, um, partly because live coders, if you give them a definition, they'll change it. Um, because live coding is all about having rules and then changing them while you're following them. Um, I like to think of it as a kind of improvisation in the musical sense. Um, so not composing music, but making music during a performance um, live. Um, but it's a bit strange because it's via a notation and you, and you associate notation with composition. So it's kind of this strange space between composing a fixed piece of music which is then played um, and just making it. Because you have this notation in between you and the music even though the computer is reading the notation while you're changing it. Um, so it's also a kind of interactive computer programming. It's quite a strange kind of computer programming. Um, don't tend to use standard programming languages, although um, people do do that. Um, it's kind of, yeah, it comes from computer science, but it's going somewhere else, I think. It's very computer-centric. So when I first started making computer art around the year 2000, um, there was a lot of talk of generative art where you'd make this software which then created things. It kind of, like an agent that went off on its own, being a creative um, spirit of its own. Whereas with live coding, it's really focused on the human as a creative programmer. Um, that's quite a common idea now, but about 16 years ago, it was a bit strange to think of a computer programmer as being creative. I think we've managed to change that perception now. Um, it's a form of writing in public, uh, which is the root of program, in a way. Um, and, yeah, as I say, it's a definition open to change, so 
Um, yeah, it's, it's still developing. Uh, so my um, background in live coding starts with a band which formed around the year 2000 with my friend Adrian and Dave. Um, this is us in 2005 in Sonar Festival. Um, you can see that we're projecting our screens. You can see the code uh, as we write it. So, yeah, if you want to see what's happening, you can. Um, so, yeah. So when we started Slub, um, we talked quite a lot about what we were doing um, and tried to work out um, what our principles were. Um, and we made a little manifesto, which we delivered in the ICA uh, in London around the year 2001, I think. Um, and even though we weren't really live coding at that point, we were just writing software then, running it um, in performances. Um, there was a lot about real-time output, about liveness, um, and uh, about opening processes, opening minds. We were projecting our screens all the time. Um, but then it, it became more of a community thing around the year 2004 when we realised that lots of other people were doing similar things. Um, we went to a symposium called Changing Grammars in Hamburg, uh, where an organisation called TopLap was formed, which stands for the Temporary Organisation for Live Algorithm Programming. Um, you find this quite a lot in live coding, things being really driven by pens. If you can find a good pen, then you have to do it somehow. Um, but yeah, there was something in the air around that time. Lots of people somehow thinking, why can't we use programming for more social, shared experiences? Um, again, we came up with a manifesto for Top Flap. Uh, just to quote a couple of bits. Uh, one was, live coding is not about tools. Algorithms are thoughts. Chainsaws are tools. That's why algorithms are sometimes harder to notice than chainsaws. I think too often we think about software as a tool which we give to someone else to use. Um, whereas for top flap, um, software is something that you make for yourself and your friends. Um, obscurantism is dangerous, so it shows your screens. Again, trying to peel back and unravel technology and show the innards um, and show that as part of the work itself. And there's the logo for top flap, um, which represents a laptop with people looking at it. Um, so it's all about openness and sharing and, uh, yeah, thinking about code is something which is human. Um, so thinking a bit more about where it came from, um, part of it, I think, was affordable laptops and projectors. I remember trying to carry a huge beige bo boxes around. Um, it was much easier when I could afford a laptop. And also when projectors appeared in small um, DIY spaces like Foundry and Public Life, um, but it also came from a whole range of cultural, technological and philosophical influences. Um, I'm not expecting you to read all that, but <laughs> uh, one thing would be free open source software. So that's kind of the... Um, yeah, it's not even something that's talked about. Everything that we do is shared as free software. It's just the basis of live coding culture. Uh, another one... Um, yeah, so improvisation is very important. Software art was a big thing. Um, people starting to think about software as something that could be art. So all these different cultural influences which came together and somehow made live coding a thing. It was always possible, but somehow... And people were doing it, but there's something that made 
a community some, somehow come together. Um, so, as I say, it's a very open culture. Um, all the software, more or less, is free, open source, SuperGlider, Jibber, Cyril, Sonic Pi, Ixilang, Chuck, Fluxus, Live Code Lab, and my own system, Tidal Cycles. They all have their free software community uh, where people are um, sharing updates to the language, but also music. Um, and we project all our code. But I think most importantly, when you go to a live coding event, it's very unclear what is going to happen. Um, even the people performing don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we create these situations where um, things might fail. It's like experimental, you know. Um, it, it's not about making a product, but about making an open experience. And the audience working out what's going on, also the people performing trying to work out what's going on as well. Um, so, yeah, as I said before, it's for yourself and coding for your friends, experience, not products. Um, primarily about music and visuals, but also other generally time-based forms. Um, Algorave. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've been making music for people to dance to since around the year 2000, as I said. Um, but it wasn't until around 2012, maybe, I'm not sure, um, when we came up with the word Algorave um, while driving to a gig, me and my friend Nick, tuning into a happy hardcore pirate radio station in Nottingham and uh, yeah, deciding we were going to make some rave music that night. Um, and somehow coming up with this pretty stupid name, Algorave, um, everyone wants to join in. Um, <laughs> and we yeah, came up with this nice logo as well. Um, I don't know. Something about coming up with a stupid name where you can't really take yourself too seriously, but it has something about it that means that people come around it and then it becomes a community. And now it's spread all over the world. Um, so there's been our graves in all these cities, Toronto, Ljubljana, Sheffield, Barcelona, London, Tokyo. Um, and yeah, but still it's, these our graves have got quite an experimental feel to them. Um, we kind of project our code, but we don't really know why, whether it's part of the music or not. Um, and yeah, it's not always danceable, um, but usually it is. Uh, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but when it does, it's really exciting. And uh, this was in Blue Dot Festival uh, this summer with the Algorbades. Um, but it's not just about our grave. Um, the, here's some nice people uh, sitting in a park, live coding with a system called Republic. This is PowerBooks Unplugged back when power books were a thing. So this is a network music band where people are sharing code and running code on each other's laptops and just using the speakers uh, like an acoustic instrument. Uh, they have got power plugged in, but they're using the speakers of their laptops to make music. And they often sit within audiences when they're playing in a concert. Um, but it's about code sharing as a performance, in a way. Um, and, yeah, I'm just giving you a bit of a strange tour, but this is my friend Kate Sikio. Um, here we have a project, Sound Choreography Body Code. So this is to show you a different way of involving bodies in live coding. Here, it's people dancing to code. And here, it's uh, me writing code, which makes sound, which um, interferes with Kate's choreography system, which is... Uh, this graph here, 
Um, so that moves in response to the sound, and then Kate is following that, um, and her movements are interfering with my code. So we've got this kind of feedback loop through our different notations. Um, I haven't really got time to explain it more than that. <laughs> but um, Kate has got a lot of interesting um, pieces where she's using dancers uh, in a live coding situation where the dancers take the code, the, the place of the computer. So it's actually the people which are following the code instead of the computers. Um, but I should say that something about what it feels to be performing in an algorithm, it's a pretty strange experience, really, because you're absolutely focused on the code that you're writing. Um, but at the same time, you have this very physical response from the people in the room. So you're in this kind of world of language, um, working with this very abstract form, um, while hearing the sound and also having these people move to the structures which you're building. Um, it's, it's a very... Uh, yeah, exciting space to be in. I encourage you to try it out. Um, right, so I'll play you a bit of a video just to show you what an grave looks like. Um, so this is me and my friend Matthew E. King. Um, he's playing drums here. He's also a live coder. Um, so this is me writing code. Um, and we're just improvising together. We hadn't practiced anything. Uh, we didn't know what was going to happen at any point. Uh, we're just responding to each other, making music. So if I fast forward a bit, I think there. So this is a point where we've been playing for a while and then kind of come down to nothing. Um, neither really knows what's going to happen next. Um, and this is the most exciting point for me in a live coding performance, I think, when you're collaborating with someone and you're just waiting for the music to happen, but you haven't written it yet. Um, I'm just searching around looking for something. And I'm just starting to make some structures. I'm controlling a synth there, um, adding a sine wave to the cutoff to modulate this pattern I'm building. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, and then if I fast forward a bit further. On. Well, you get the idea anyway. So, yeah, maybe I should show you some actual tidal code directly. But um, I think when I, I really enjoy playing with instrumental musicians because um, that immediacy of response is what really drives the performance for me. Um, right, next slide. Right. So I thought, as this is the Open Data Institute, I should show a bit of data. So from that video, I. Um, encoded <coughs> both uh, every time I looked at Matthew and also every time I evaluated some code. And you can see that there's kind of a relationship that's forming. I haven't done any stats. <laughs> but you can see that um, when things are about to change, I look at Matthew quite a lot, for example. Um, here's <coughs> another graph where 
I've sort of introduced um, subjective idea of where thematic changes are and also logged where I drink alcohol. At the start it's beer and towards the end it's mezcal. Um, so yeah, when I'm looking for inspiration I seem to reach for the bottle. I don't encourage drinking during performance, it's something I generally avoid but seem to make sense then. Um, so I'm running a bit short of time so I'll show you my system title briefly and then we can go to questions. Um, so Tidal is a pattern language really um, in the sense that it's a language designed for describing pattern in the same way as this language here is a uh, language for describing uh, knitting uh, this lace work. Um, and a quote from Alfred North Whitehead, art is the imposing of a pattern on experience and our aesthetic enjoyment is recognition of the pattern. So I think it's quite nice to think about code as being something which is something you look for when you're experiencing a work but it can also be something you can use for creating the work in the first place. So this is a pattern you can see there's pink, white and red there, different densities um, and also you can see a darkening and then lightening over time and you can see that in the code for it as well. So this is my Tidal Cycles language which I'm using to create this image. Um, you can see the pink, red, white happening. Every two repetitions it increases the density and it also darkens it with a sine wave. So it's very declarative, very direct. Um, is another thing, it has this pattern here with different colours, um, different densities to merge together two versions of the same pattern at different densities. You get quite a nice change. Um, so if I just go straight to the demo. Um, So, yeah, when I first started live coding, it would take me a few minutes to make a sound, but now I can type something very quickly to get um, just a very simple sequence going. It's a very repetitive language. Uh, it just repeats what you type forever, so you have to keep changing it. <laughs> These are sounds taken from the inside of a washing machine. Um, so I can add more sounds. I can layer two patterns on top of each other. Um, so that's just a simple way to make a sequence. Um, but then, um, Tidal is really about uh, manipulating those sequences with functions. So I can say every two repetitions increase the speed of playback. I can say shift the pattern a quarter of a step but just in one speaker so you get a kind of stereo effect. Or every three repetitions chop it into bits and reverse it. add other patterns on top and gradually build it up.
can kind of hear that even with quite a few simple um, transformations, just by combining them, you get something very complex emerge. Um, I'll just show you something I'm working on. Um, just a few ready-made patterns that I worked on a couple of nights ago. Um, I, I do live streams where I try and compose new bits of music, and these are some patterns from that. Lots of different patterns layered on top of each other, representing different parts of the music which I'm trying to write. Um, I haven't really got any time to explain what is happening. But, um, it, it's, it's all about making sequences, but then making interference patterns between them. Um, so, for example, if I had a simple... Um, a simple scale like that. Um, I can make different interference patterns of vowel formant filters. Oh. start with simple patterns, but then the way they interact with each other is where I think the music comes from. Um, right, so I think that's about 25 minutes, so I think this would be a good time to go to questions. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening. <laughs> I've certainly learned something today. The one thing I wanted to ask you to kick off is you mentioned you're not clear what's going to happen mm. while you're live coding and making music. Isn't that utterly terrifying for you? <laughs> um, it can be, yeah. If, if I'm really tired and don't have any ideas, it can be pretty horrible. But then I can always fall back on pre-written code. Yeah. Um, but when, I mean, everyone's experienced really being in the zone and, and being in, at one with what you're doing and getting that state of flow. And that, that's when it's really good and you don't have to worry anymore because <laughs> you always have... I mean, the good thing about Tidal is that um, everything is a pattern and so there's so many ways of manipulating a pattern that in a way you can just let the language give you the ideas just by trying something out, seeing what it sounds like and then um, just following the material in a way. Um, but yeah, it, it, it depends. <laughs>
Um, I'm very happy to open up questions to the floor if anyone would like to ask anything, if you don't mind passing the mic around. Hi, Alex. In the penultimate piece, the one that you said was a ready-made, yeah. that was a full screen, um, the sounds that were playing, were those being synthesised in real time or, or were they from a library? Um, they were from a sample library. So, yeah, um, I have um, lots of little short samples I've bit, built up over um, about 10 years or something. Um, but actually, the system we have now, um, a guy called Julian Rorber has rewritten all the synthesis stuff, so you can actually run synthesizers as well um, and control them in the same way. Um, and also you can control uh, MIDI equipment and things like that. Um, I still really like using samples. I just think, especially with granulating them, cutting up into tiny bits, rearranging them and turning them into patterns themselves, um, there's something I like about it. <laughs> it's very satisfying to listen to. Thank you. <laughs> So if I wanted to get started in this kind of thing, what would you recommend? Are there some easier systems? Or I imagine what you're using is uh, harder, perhaps, or requires a bit more experience, maybe? Um, yeah, well, there's, there's quite a lot of systems, and they're all um, free to download. I think one that would be particularly easy to get into would be one called Jibber. Um, if you go to toplap.org, you can find links to all these different systems. Um, yeah, Jibber should be there. Yeah, there we go. Because that just runs in the browser, so you don't have to install it at all. Um, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, there's other ones like Sonic Pi, Ixilang, Super Collider. Um, but it's hard to really recommend one because they're all quite different, but they all have their communities, lots of documentation. Just try them all out. Um, but Tidal, I don't think it's that difficult. I mean, it's based on Haskell, which is probably one of the more difficult programming languages in the world. <laughs> but um, the uh, domain-specific language, which Tidal is, just has... You don't have to understand the whole of Haskell to use it. Um, and actually, I've run workshops with people who haven't done programming before um, and who are making music together within an hour. So... Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd, but I'd say try them all. <laughs> When's your next performance, Alex? Um, my next performance would be uh, in Toronto, I think, Hamilton. I'm organising a whole festival which will include an hour grave on the 18th of November in Sheffield, um, another one in Birmingham. If you go to ourgrave.com, you'll find more. There's one in London, actually, on the 17th of November. Um, so that would be a good bet. But I'm not there because I'll be organising my festival. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, Another question? So a lot of the um, original artists all seem to be very based around um, very sort of like Western European-centric. Do you find that there's been a lot of independent... Uh, algorithms and independent access to this software coming up and people getting into this code elsewhere or do you find it still very in your in what you've seen still very based around a fairly small community um, well yeah in Europe it's quite spread out really um, it feels like there's one live coding in every city um, but actually um, the best live coding community I think is in Mexico City um, there they 
they've just built up a community by having lots of workshops regularly. Um, and I, I visited there for a festival, and there, there seemed to be everyone seemed to be a live coder and um, very diverse and sharing community. Um, so yeah, I'd say Mexico City is maybe the first proper live coding community in a way, um, and they have algorithms, of course. <laughs> um, there is a growing scene in Japan, um, Australia, and the States. Um, we've had some workshops in um, central India as well. Um, but yeah, I think maybe five years ago it would be quite focused on Europe, but now it is diversifying and spreading nicely, um, particularly in South America. Uh how often do you play with instrumental musicians? Um, well, me and Matthew play quite regularly. Um, I think it's something that's always driven the, develop to the development of the language, really, because have, playing with an instrumental musician, you really do need to respond very quickly and um, in, uh, have a wide palette of sounds and, and structures. Um, I'd say... I don't know. Yeah... I think half the time I'm probably performing with someone who has an instrument of some kind. But that might be another digital instrument. Um, for example, Eleanor at the back there <laughs> uh, performs with uh, strobe lights, which are turned into sound quite directly. Um, and we do very noisy performances. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's something very nice about working with code and something very physical like that is um, it, it just connects it I suppose um, and just something very satisfying um, and, and actually I think I am still quite abstract from the physical world um, so it's just nice to perform with someone who is using their body directly <laughs> um, and this is probably a really inappropriate question but do you think there'll be more commercialisation of what you're doing and what other people are doing for future or is that not within the ethos yeah I think it's not within the original ethos really it's mm. kind of comes from that free improvisation tradition of sort of having a holiday from capitalism where we're just making music for the moment and there's no product that can be sold mm. um, but yeah I think there is a lot of interest from more commercial instrument makers in live coding and I'm sure they're developing um, live coding environments or things which are a bit like live coding environments um, so yeah it, it's hard to know exactly what, where it's going to go but I think that yeah it's not necessarily a bad thing is it more people using these things and people making money out of it change is always a good thing yeah somewhere or another <laughs> well thank you very much Alex and if um, as Alex says if you want to check out upcoming gigs then you can go to algorave.com um, as well as having Alex here as our sound artist in residence we have a variety of other um, artistic works around the building that you might have noticed as you come in for those of you in the room if you want to pick up the Thinking Out Loud brochure it gives you some more details about what Alex um, and some of the other artists are up to feel free to have a nosy around the ODI headquarters 
have a look at the artworks, try and explain them to me if you can. I would love that. <laughs> um, and enjoy. Um, we're back here again in ODI HQ next Friday at one o'clock. And of course, always on the live stream, you're welcome to join in on Twitter using the hashtag ODI Fridays. Um, thank you all very much for coming along today. If you want to stick around, ask a few questions, please feel free. But mainly thank you to Alex McLean for speaking today. Thank you, Alex. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.